seems to be a very native trait for humanity. It starts when we're pretty young. How many of us were tapped on the head when we were little and instructed not to throw stones? How many times do you see it outside here in the parking lot? Somebody tapping somebody and saying, don't throw stones. Well, that's little children. That seems to be somehow, seems to be native to us. But it's not just little children that we're talking about this morning. We're going to be talking to us as adults. What do we do when people, when people throw stones? 2 Samuel 15, 2 Samuel 15 is a very, some very interesting stories. And I'd like to, um, well, let's look at chapter 16, first of all. Chapter 16 and verse 13. This is just a hint before we read this passage of what we're going to be talking about. You're familiar with this story, I think. And as David and his men went by the way, Shimei went along the hill's side over against him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and cast dust. We're going to look just as an introduction to the message this morning into the story of King David and Shimei. And then we're going to take it and switch it to New Testament and talk about meekness. And I have to confess, I could not find anywhere in my history of sermons that I've preached that I've ever preached on meekness as a message. It's been referred to. And I found it very interesting and a little bit alarming when looking at myself in relation to meekness and what it really actually means and what is required of us. All right, so 2 Samuel now 15, and I'm going to read some of these verses, not this whole passage. It's very interesting. But I'll start at verse 21. <clears throat> We're kind of breaking in here. You know the setting where Absalom, that rebellious son, was seeking to take the throne from David. In the previous three years, he has, as the Scripture says, stole the hearts of the men of Israel. By saying, oh, if I was king, I would do this. And oh, if I was king, I would do that. And he stole the hearts of the men of Israel to the point there was a mass rebellion. He had a group of people following him. And he was uh, actually intent on killing his father and taking the throne for himself. And so we're breaking into this account now where David was told that Solomon with his group of men, group of soldiers, were, was on his way to, to Jerusalem. And is, he was going to attempt a coup, as we say, or to overthrow the king and take the kingdom for himself. <clears throat> now verse uh, 21 of chapter 15. And Idai answered the king and said, As the Lord liveth, and as my lord the king liveth, surely in what place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also will thy servant be. It just shows that David also had men that were loyal to him, and were willing to protect him to the extent of their life. And David said to, um, 
And, and David said to Idai, "Go and pass over." And and Idai the Gittite passed over, and all his men and all the little ones that were with him, and all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people passed over. The king also himself passed over the brook Kidron, and all the people passed over toward the way of the wilderness. Now, in reading some of these verses here, this is just a side thought. You enjoy Bible study. In reading these verses, don't miss the great symbolism in this passage. What did we just read? David himself passed over the brook Kidron. Keep that in your mind. It's, it's symbolic. There's going to be another one here come up soon as well. And Lo Zadok also and all the Levites were with him, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God. And Abiathar went up until all the people had done passing out of the city. And the king said unto Zadok, Carry back the ark of God into the city. If I shall find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me again and show me both it and its habitation. In other words, I will again see the tabernacle where the ark sits. And if he thus say, I have no delight in thee, behold, here am I. Let him do to me as seemeth good unto him. And the king said also unto Zadok the priest, Art not thou a seer? Return unto the city in peace, and your two sons with you, Ahimeaz thy son, and Jonathan the son of Abiathar. See, I will tarry in the plain of the wilderness until there come word for me to certify me, from you to certify me. Zadok therefore and Abiathar carried the ark of God again to Jerusalem, and they, and they tarried there. And David went up by the ascent of Mount Olivet. Interesting. He crossed the brook Kidron. And now he was climbing up to all of it. Exactly the path that Christ would follow before his arrest. He crossed the brook Kidron and went up to Mount Olivet. Just interesting. There's a lot of symbolism here. We don't, we're not going to go into that this, this morning. That would be a message all in itself. And David went up by the ascent of Mount Olivet, and wept as he went up, and had his head covered, and he went barefoot. And all the people that was with him covered every man his head, and they went up weeping as they went up. And one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. <coughs> and it came to pass that when David was come to the top of the mount, in other words, the top of Mount Olivet, where he worshipped God. Behold, Hushai, the archite, came to meet him with his coat rent and earth upon his head. And unto, and unto whom David said, If thou passest on with me, then thou shalt be a burden unto me. But if thou return to the city and say unto Absalom, I will be thy servant, O king, as I have been thy father's servant hitherto, so will I now also be thy servant, then mayest thou... For me, defeat the counsel of Ahithophel. And hast thou not there with thee Zadok and Abiathar the priests? Therefore it shall be that when thou, when what things soever thou shalt hear out of the king's house, thou shalt tell it unto Zadok and Abiathar the priests. 
Behold, they have there with them their two sons, Ahimei Zadok's son and Jonathan Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send unto me everything that ye can hear. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. Uh, I'm going to jump down now to um, verse 5. And in between there is the story of Ziba and his treachery. But we're not going to look at this whole passage. There's a lot of details here. Now, verse 5, And when King David came to Behurim, behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came forth and cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David, and at all the servants of King David, and all the people, and all the mighty men that were his, on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned, and the Lord hath delivered <coughs> the kingdom into... <coughs> excuse me. Kingdom into the hand of Aslam thy son, and behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. Then said Abishai, the son of Zariah, unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. And the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said unto him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my son, which came forth in my bowels, seeketh my life. And how much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone, let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. It may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction, and that the Lord will requite me good for this cursing this day. And as David and his men went by the way, Shimei went along the hillside over against him, and cursed as he went, and threw stones at him, and cast dust. And the people and all the, and the king and all the people that were with him came weary and refreshed themselves there. We're going to stop there. Maybe more. It's a big, a large story. But I'd like to think a little bit this morning in relation to this situation. And. The details, some of the smaller details, we don't necessarily have, but we know that Shimei was of the house of Saul. And now that David was in a weakened state, we could say, and had to flee Jerusalem for his life because of what Absalom was intending to do, it appeared that David was losing. It appeared that David was was uh, in a weak position. Yes, he had his bodyguards with him, I think 600 men, and a very loyal man to him, but he had to flee Jerusalem for his life. And this was an opportunity now that this man, Shimei, was going to use against the king who was of the house of Saul. And after all these years of David being king over Israel, he brought up the fact in his mind that now you're getting what you deserve because you destroyed the house of Saul and you're reigning. In other words, you're an illegitimate king. And now... Now you're getting what, what you deserve because of what you did. He was really blaming David for killing Saul and, and probably Jonathan or the house, house of Saul. And David had not really done that. In fact, you remember that David mourned the death of Saul and he mourned the death of, of, Abs, of, you know, of, of Jonathan. 
And, um, and, he, and he had many opportunities to kill King Saul when Saul was chasing him, and he never did it. So, yes, he was a man of war. He shed a lot of blood, but he did not shed innocent blood in that sense, except, you know, with um, Uriah and in that situation where he found repentance. But, but in the, in what he was accused of was simply not true. And here was David, king of Israel, accused by this man. We sometimes think of him as a little man. We don't know how his stature was, but he was little. We called him that because of his mindset. Here was a man that was down, as it were, and he came along to kick him when he was down, to, uh, to take advantage of the situation, to falsely accuse him. And, uh, and make his life more miserable, throw rocks at him. I don't know how he thought he was going to get away with that. It was kind of brazen. And David had men who would have easily taken care of the situation. And they begged him or asked him that they would be allowed to do that. And uh, David said, no. Just let him live. Let him alone. Let him do this. Maybe God has something in this to teach me. Maybe, maybe God wanted him to do this, to help me understand some things. Verse 12, and it may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. And um, here was a man who was little enough, little enough to throw stones at the legitimate Divinely crowned King David. Now, we're not going to read the end of the story, but it's interesting when David came back to Jerusalem after Absalom was dead, defeated, Shimei met him outside of Jerusalem, fell at his face, some later verses, and begged him for his life. He said he was very sorry for saying that. And David left him live again. But um, David also, you remember, told Solomon when Solomon became king, you're going to have to deal with Shimei because of his treachery. David knew it was finally a threat. And you remember how that Solomon made a deal with him. He says, you come and you live inside Jerusalem and don't you leave the city and I'll let you live. The day you leave the city, you're going to die for it. You remember for three years, the deal worked <clears throat> until... One day, his, a couple of his servants ran away. And I don't know if he thought that King Solomon would have forgotten about it or not. We don't know why. But Shimei took off, left the, left the city of Jerusalem to look, after, to look for his servants that had ran away, his slaves. And word came to Solomon, Shimei left Jerusalem. So when he came back, he called him in and had him executed for his sin. Now, here was a man, like a lot of people are, in certain situations, like to throw stones. Shimei, the man of, of, a man of Saul's house, who because of his own bitterness and vengeful spirit, would take advantage of the king, would stoop to, as we said before, 
in, in, quote, kicking a man or throwing rocks at a man when he's down. What I find interesting in this whole passage is, even though it's Old Testament, you have David exhibiting New Testament principle, really. And there was a, there's a meekness about David's response that I would say is, you could say, New Testament. It was one of meekness, not one of revenge, not one to push back. He said, well, maybe the Lord is trying to tell me something. He would not allow himself to be reactionary with this impudent man who um, was seeking to take advantage of the situation, falsely accuse him, and throw, throw stones at him and his family. David could have said, well, it's one thing if it was just me and my soldiers, my bodyguard with me. But David's family was here too that was involved in this situation. As I said, stone throwing seems to be na- native to human nature. I would like to think this morning a little bit in relation to our reactions, our responses when people throw stones. A couple of questions for us to consider before we look at this further in the response of meekness and what meekness means. How do we respond to those who throw stones at us? How do we respond when it only feels like people throw stones at us? And the reason I ask that is because sometimes we can say, you know, it's totally unjust. It it, it makes no sense. I'm not guilty of that. This is a false accusation. When maybe it's actually a friend that is trying to help us understand something and we immediately interpret it as stone throwing. I've been there because it gets pretty close home. Maybe criticism, maybe even good criticism. Not all, not all criticism is negative. But sometimes it, it gets pretty close home and, and we can just react to that. And say, well, you're, you're just throwing stones at me, as it were. But it only... It's because it feels like someone is maybe throwing stones, but actually maybe they're trying to help us. What about when it feels like stones are thrown? And this goes right along with what I just said, but it feels like stones are thrown when there are no stones at all. But actually someone is trying to help us with something. The scriptures talk a lot about meekness. That's one thing I noticed again in studying for this message. There's a lot of scriptures that talk about meekness. And not just about Christians being meek, but it talks about Christ being meek. And I believe here in this story, you have King David illustrating for us in, 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 and, to, and showing in type form, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David, would one day walk out of Jerusalem, cross the Kidron Brook, climb the Mount of Olives, where he was going to be betrayed 
by supposedly a friend. And Jesus called him a friend. Mine own familiar friend with whom I have eaten bread has lifted up his heel against me is what he said of Judas prophetically. David's non-reactionary, or you could say his meekness in this situation, in exactly the same geographic setting, the same type of encounter as it were, Shimei, I believe, in, in, in type, illustrating and showing, you know, the, the, the Jewish nation as a whole that was going to be against Christ and betray him and, and, and crucify him. And you have David's response compared to Christ's response. I believe in type form you have it here. It shows it. Now, the scriptures talk a lot about meekness. I said that. And we want to look at this godly characteristic further. To the unbeliever, meekness is weakness. And I would say even to us as even Christians at times, and I feel it in my, myself when I was studying for this message, how often I probably interpret meekness as weakness. What does society say about someone that allows themselves to be, to be trampled by others, as it were, or their rights trampled, and don't push back, and don't stand up for themselves? How many fights happen in a, in a bar just because someone is, is um, not going to take the lowly road of meekness and back away from the situation and be considered a coward. They used to call them yellow bellies. You understand what I'm saying? Society says, oh, you're not a man, or you, you, know, you, don't, you don't even stand up for yourself. You see, that's how the world sees it. And it's also how us as human in our human nature have a tendency to see it sometimes. It can, you can get that feel at times within. Because meekness is often viewed as weakness. It's this meek little person, you know, that doesn't push back and doesn't stand up for his rights and doesn't, he just takes it and just doesn't. Society says, it's humanism, but society says, you need to stand up for yourself. You need to look after yourself. You know, sometimes they say, well, nobody else is going to look out for, for you. You better look out for yourself. That's humanism. And that's human nature outside of Christ. The world in general looks down on true Christians as weak. And sometimes they'll even say that. You know, and talk about these weak-minded Christians. And I remember years ago sitting beside a man on, in an airplane one time flying. He said he kind of made the comment to me. You know, if if religion you know helps you in some way, you know to bolster you in some way, that's good for you. In other words, I'm a strong person. I don't need religion to prop me up. You see, that's that that's the view. Many times. And so the world in general looks down on Christians as weak and who just let people walk all over them. We don't like to appear weak and powerless. 
Our human nature doesn't like it. There's part of us that just wants to push back. Now, is a spirit of meekness a part of who we are as a Christian this morning? This is the challenge that I got from this. I'd like to share it with you. Is the spirit of meekness a part of who we are as a Christian? How do we react under pressure? How do we react when misunderstood? How do we react when criticized? How do we react when we feel rejected? How do we react when we feel not accepted by others? Or when our rights are stepped on? Or when we face opposition, pushback? When we're falsely accused? Oh, that one hurts. I struggle with that one. Or when it feels like someone... He's just throwing some rocks in our direction. Totally unjustified. Makes no sense. But they do it anyway. What is our reaction? Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 5, we know this beatitude well, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I'm not going to necessarily come back to this. I don't believe in the message in relation to inheriting the earth and what that means. Just a few thoughts now before we move on to the meekness side of it. I think it goes back to the Old Testament promise of Israel inheriting the land of Canaan, but also, as Hebrews tells us, that future land, the eternal inheritance, the new heaven and the new earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Also, it's interesting that Jesus' comment there or teaching in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verse 5, is probably partly quoted from Psalm 37, 11, where it says, But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Now, what is meekness? What is meekness? The Bible Dictionary defines meekness as an attitude of humility toward God and gentleness toward men, springing from a recognition that God is in control. Another thing to to remember is, in relation to meekness is, although weakness and meekness may look similar, I'm not talking about the words now, just because they rhyme, but I'm actually talking about the outward expression of both, may look similar. They're not the same. They're not the same at all. And like so many things, from the human perspective versus the spiritual perspective, they actually, even though they may appear sometimes the same, they're actually opposite. They're actually opposite. There's a lot more strength in in, in meekness than in any other form of supposed strength versus 
natural weakness. Weakness is due to negative circumstances. In other words, weakness is not being strong enough for the situation or the or 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 for the the, the situation or the the um, the challenge. That's weakness. It's due to negative circumstances such as a lack of strength or lack of courage, but meekness is due to a person's conscious choice. You see, by nature, we're not meek. So meekness is due to a person's conscious choice. It is strength and courage under control. I like that. Meekness is strength and courage under control. And therefore, it doesn't have to be exercised because there's actually strength within. And of course, coupled with kindness, I believe. So the strength and courage under control, coupled with kindness. Now, another part of this is the interesting Greek word that is for the word translated in the English language, meekness or meek. The Greek word is P-R-A-U-S. Praeus, or something like that. I'm not fluent in Greek at all. P-R-A-U-S. Now, there's. it's interesting that this Greek word for meekness, or meek, is used in the Greek language in several different ways. It can be used to, to describe a soothing ointment. You know how it is? You have a burn or something, or a scrape or something, and you put some ointment on there, and it just soothes it. Same Greek word as meek. It is also used by sailors to describe a gentle breeze. So a sail, sailors with a sail on a ship, it's used to describe a gentle breeze. There's that gentle movement forward, in a very controlled, calm way. And the third one is, it's also used in the Greek language, same word as meek, is used by farmers to describe a broken colt. When a horse is broken, there's, there's meekness. Now, all, these, all three of these examples of this word meek from the Greek language are examples of power, but it's under control. Now, we may come back to that a little bit later. Think about that in relation to the power of meekness. But first of all, before we get there, I'd like to think about some examples First of all, the example of Christ. And there'd be a lot of this that we could go into. But it was prophesied of Christ in Matthew 21.5. Jesus referred to this, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek, and sitting upon an ass, the colt, the foal of an ass. And that's how Jesus entered Jerusalem. Meekness. You know, you remember the disciples, well, you know, wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You know, are we going to have a big military campaign here and get this city back? 
No, Jesus said. I am I, coming as that meek king in meekness. Did that mean that Christ was less powerful when he sat upon that unbroken colt and rode into Jerusalem? Because he was meek, was he weak? Did it show actually tremendous strength and power, even in meekness? Sure it did. Other passages that encourage meekness, well, maybe I should just say this first in relation to Christ. You know, you read Isaiah 53, the, um, the prophecy related to the suffering of Christ. And as a lamb or as a sheep was dumb before their shears, so he openeth not his mouth. I think of this different times. My father raised sheep. We, uh, most of my growing up years, we had some sheep around. I don't know if you've ever she- uh, sheared sheep before. I've done some of that. You learn how to handle them, of course, but you grab a sheep and you sit them up on their rump and you start shearing them. There's a way, you, the technique, you do it. And you handle them right. There's basically never a fight. Sheep will just sit there. The way you hold them, the way you shear them, there's almost never a fight. That's why you get a wild one, but not too often. Got a few scars to show that. But, but um, have you ever thought about, would you like to try that with any other animal? Can you think of any other animal in the world that you could do that to? possible as far as I know it's just there's something about that the scripture uses that over and over again Isaiah 53 the sheep before her shears is dumb in other words there's very little bleeding very little response there's meekness so he openeth not his mouth speaking of Christ in his meekness so there's a lot of examples of Christ Peter and his epistle talks about that. When, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he was, when he was um, accused, he didn't threaten. Christ, before his accusers, was meek. In the presence of Pilate, Pilate says there that he marveled at him because he didn't answer him. And Pilate said, aren't you going to answer your accusers here? They're accusing you of these things? Jesus answered him, not a word. Later he responded. In relation to the kingdom, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. But he did not, he was like King David there. He did not push back. In meekness, he accepted what they were saying. Now some other passages that encourage meekness. Hebrews, or sorry, Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. There is so much in that verse. To unwrap that for us is a lifetime of learning. He says, if you take my yoke upon upon you 
and you learn of me, you watch me and you duplicate, you, you copy me in my life, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And if we understand that and we learn that, we're going to find rest unto your souls. At the end of the message, I'd like to read what A.W. Tozer wrote about this passage to summarize this message. But we will be under, under pressure. We are going to be under anxiety. We're going to be, have a lot of unrest in our lives if we don't learn the meekness of Christ and how to respond in situations. Ephesians 4, sorry, first of all, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Again, this is a familiar verse, or two verses, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. So meekness there is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And I know I've memorized that verse, and you and I have said it over and over again, and we've read it many, many, many times. What does meekness mean to us? Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Colossians 3, 12 and 13, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. You know what I thought when I read that last evening? If you think about meekness, and those two verses there, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another, in brotherhood, why would there ever be division? Why would there ever be a problem if we live this out? Okay, there are people sometimes that choose to go wrong. But when we have a quarrel against somebody, when we don't get along with somebody, when we decide that this is not right, let's be sure that the offense is not on our part. First Timothy 6, 11, But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. 2 Timothy 2, 24-26, And the servant of the Lord must not strive. I think we went over these, this scripture in relation to recent ordination qualifications. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, Apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. If I as a brother in the church and have a have a a struggle, or you have a struggle with someone that is not measuring up or that is not cooperating, that is not showing you know, a meek spirit in relation to uh, serving Christ, 
How do I react to that? It says in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. It's going to take patience. It's going to take meekness. doesn't mean that we overlook sin, but it means that the way we go about it, in that spirit of meekness, to bring that person, help that person to repentance. Titus 3, 1 and 2. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers. In other words, push back, fight, short-fused, not a brawler, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. I know in my life, some of the failures of my life, where I, in the name of defending truth, I think, and saying what I believed was the truth to somebody, it was in a spirit of resistance rather than in a spirit of love. Do you know how often those types of confrontations or those types of conversations are effective? Basically, zero. Not because of exactly what I said, but the way I said it. It was not in the spirit of meekness and gentleness. And I think we understand that. Whether it's our children, helping our teenagers, our young people. You can be firm. You can say it right. You can give the truth. But is there peace and meekness in my heart. <clears throat> so while there's a tendency for all of us to think of meekness as weakness, we need to remember that it's those who are meek that have the most power in any given situation. And so that brings us to this question, does one give up power to become meek? Does one give up power to become meek? It would feel that way, right? But it's not true. Does the medicine give up power to cure the sick? Or does it use power in a controlled way? Does the wind give up power to push the ship across the sea? Or does he use power in a controlled way? Does the horse give up power when broken to obey its owner or the rider? Or does it simply use its power in a controlled way? I think that illustrates for us the meaning of meekness. Neither do we give up power, as it were, when it comes when we become meek in the hands of God. It is only in the state of meekness that we actually are empowered by God to face situations and circumstances in a controlled way. Meekness is really foundational for a lot of the Christian life. We notice those various verses, and there would be others. It is one of the fruits of, this, of the Spirit. But think of it this way. It's also, I believe, foundational for what we believe about non-resistance. Jesus said, you know, we're not to resist evil. 
Whosoever smites thee on thy right cheek, turn him the other also. That's meekness. It takes power to do that. That's not, that's not weakness. That's meekness. Meekness is the basis for forgiveness, for letting someone off the hook. I'm not going to hold you responsible. I'm not going to hold you tight for this anymore. I'm going to forgive you because I'm not claiming that right of injustice. I'm not claiming that right to hold that grudge because I've surrendered that. That's meekness. So meekness is a foundation for forgiveness. Meekness is also the foundation for humility. What is it that causes that to rise inside of us, you know, when we're, say, falsely accused or, or someone says something, they step on our toes, as we say, and it just is something that just irritates us. It's pride, isn't it? So meekness is at the foundation of humility. And I think true kindness is also part of meekness. Remember what Jesus said, if you're kind to those who are kind to you, there's no value in that. It's just anybody can do that, any unbeliever. But if you're kind to those that abuse you, you're kind to those who reject you, you're kind to those that make life difficult for you, there's value there, there's, there's value there in the eyes of God. True kindness. Another thing to think about and to remember in this is sometimes there's a tendency for us to think that the more quiet person, the person that prefers to stay in the background, more quiet, is maybe the, a meek person. It may be true, but it may not be true at all. Sometimes the, what the external, the visual person that prefers to stay in the background, prefers to stay out of the limelight, not up front, not saying a lot, but just, just back there, is not necessarily meek inside. And I, I'm one of those people that, if you want to, you know how these personality tests go, but I'm kind of right in the middle. I'm not really an extrovert. I'm not really an introvert. I'm sort of stuck in the middle. Some situations I can be a bit of an extrovert. Some situations I'm probably leaning a little more to the introvert side. But just because I may prefer to be more quiet in a group of people or in a discussion or you or you know whatever, doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're, we're meek in a given situation. It doesn't necessarily mean the person that talks more is not meek. So let's not misinterpret that. Because I know at times when a person is not saying much and you're more in the background, you can have a rage of feelings inside. You know what I mean? That's not meekness. Because meekness is there's peace in here. That's why you're meek. I think also meekness is an essential quality that uh, finally and completely causes a person to believe in, trust, depend on, and obey God. When you boil it down, meekness has a has the, the basis for meekness is my view of God, and in light of my view of God is my view of myself. 
The scripture says of Moses that he was the meekest man to ever live. And yet that one time he got angry. And God banned him from the, from the promised land because of that. But overall, Moses was a meek man. They could say some pretty nasty things about Moses. And he just that seemed to get a, He just wasn't rattled. Remember Cordathan and Abiram, you know, and that was a direct attack on, on Moses and his character and who he was as a leader of God's people. And Moses didn't even want the job. He tried to get out of the job, and now they were blaming him for being the guy in charge and, you know, and, and ruling over everybody. <clears throat> Moses just quietly took that. He went before the Lord. Got some direction and went out and dealt with it. James 3.13, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Interesting question. We all would like to be wise. We'd like to have some knowledge. I think we have some knowledge at least. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation or a good lifestyle, living out. Day by day, a good conversation, his works with meekness of wisdom. That'd be an interesting subject, too, to go into that. What is the meekness of wisdom? Have you ever come across someone, as you got to know them, you realized there was a lot more there than meets the eye on the surface? A lot more knowledge, a lot more gifts, a lot more wisdom than what you ever thought by first impression. I've been challenged by that already. And maybe ashamed of myself for having jumped to conclusions before I really got to know them. Maybe that's a little bit of an illustration of the meekness of wisdom. That's why Proverbs says about a fool that he just he just talks everything. You know, he just says everything. But this is the meekness of wisdom. The wiser we become, the more we will understand what we don't know. That would be meekness. Also, accepting and benefiting from criticism is an important maturity for every Christian. Now, I'd like the end here, just for a few minutes, before we close, to think about a few helps. When it feels like, or when people actually do throw stones at us, do we have the meekness of Christ within us? Number one is accept all criticism first at face value. Accept all criticism first at face value. That's what David did. He said, maybe the Lord told him to say this. This is a tough one. I really struggle with this one. But the reason that I think that we should accept all criticism first at face value is is there anything that God is, wants to speak to me in any of this or help me to understand something about myself, if nothing else, to extend forgiveness and long-suffering and the spirit of meekness toward the person that is falsely accusing me? It doesn't mean that all criticism is going to be true. I'm not saying that. But accept it all in face value. Our tendency, our human tendency, is when someone says something, you know, and it has that, you know, it's 99% untrue, and we know it's 99% untrue, we just push it out of the way, and say, it's just not true. You know what the other thing we often say is? 
May we do this to, to kind of give some consolation to, to somebody, a friend who is feeling kind of sensitive and hurt about something that's, that happened. We would maybe say sometimes we'll consider the source. David could have done that. Consider the source. Shimei? Yeah, he's of the house of Saul. No wonder he's going to say that. He thinks I stole the kingdom from the house of Saul. Do you know how often we do that? I do that. We say, well, consider the source. You know, don't, hey, don't worry about it. You know, you know that person. You know, just, just. I think we need to be careful in that. <clears throat> and I'm not saying there's never a time to think about the source. But I think we, first of all, we should think about the criticism. Think about what was said. There may be nothing to it whatsoever. Or there may be something there that, you know what? It may be even 1% or 2% of truth there that we should learn something from. But we have a tendency to throw the whole thing out. It's not true. It's a false accusation. It's, not, it's un, uncalled for criticism without stopping to think about it. Maybe we should just let it soak without just pushing it away. We ought to pray about it. We ought to think about it. Meditate on it before reacting. That's part of meekness. And maybe God has something in it, if nothing else, to help us understand something about ourselves. Also appreciate and accept all the help that we can receive. This is a verse, one of the Psalms that King David wrote himself. In Psalm 141.5, Let the righteous smite me, it shall be a kindness. And let him reprove me, it shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head, for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. Interesting. Do we appreciate when the righteous smite us? When, and David says, it's going, to be a, it's going to be a kindness. Sometimes it feels like rocks are thrown, when really there's good intention. Maybe it was done in a very clumsy way. Maybe we, we have, you know, you say, well, if it would have been anybody other than Shimei, I could have probably taken it better. You know how that can be. It's just, But just the way the person came and the way they said it, you know, and sort of the tone of voice and the glint of the eye or whatever it was, and we just like, ah, it just rubs us. It's like rocks being thrown at me. And we missed the whole point. What maybe God was trying to help us with. <clears throat> Ultimately, no criticism probably is totally undeserved. I think this is true. I struggle with this one a little bit. Finally, we are fallen creatures and we will make mistakes. I think you maybe heard me use this illustration before. John Bunyan was one time standing in front of a critic who was criticizing him up and down. John Bunyan was an English preacher many, many years ago. But he, uh, 
This critic was just taking one strip off after another, what he thought was his faults and what he was wrong with him. When he was kind of ran out of breath, John Bunyan said, is that all? He said, you know, I could tell you a lot more faults about John Bunyan, even though what you know. See, we are all sinners saved by grace. And there's a sense in which, in light of that, probably no criticism is totally undeserved. I'm not saying it's true, but we're just saying that people... Of the people of God will be criticized. The people of God will face opposition. Also, I believe sometimes God wants to give us over to hurts that come to us. Maybe even if it's untrue accusations or un, you know, criticism that is, is off target, we would say. It just doesn't make sense. It's not who I am or what I tried to do. Or, But I think God can sometimes bring those into our lives to soften us. I think that here with King David. You see a different David than you see in his earlier life in a lot of ways. Although with Saul, I think he always had a sense of honor there, respect. But sometimes God gives us over to hurts to soften us and mellow us, even if we say, well, it's not true. Criticism also is a powerful tool to develop our relationship with God. Are we more concerned about what other people think of us or are we concerned about what God thinks of us? In meekness, we're going to be focusing on God and my relationship with him. And while accusations may come, we can say, we can look to God and say, is this true? We can say like David, you know, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, See, that's the prayer of a meek person. Meekness and humility, as I said before, go hand in hand. I'd like to just read down closing <clears throat> a few things A.W. Tozer wrote about this. Raise back to that scripture. <clears throat> Excuse me. Where Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is A.W. Tozer writes this. The labor of self-love is a heavy one indeed. Think for yourself whether much of your sorrow has not arisen from someone speaking slightly of you. I think that's true of my life. As long as you set yourself up as a little God to which you must be loyal, there will be those who will delight to offer affront to your idol. So how sensitive are we when somebody slights us? Maybe we have set that little idol up in there. How then can you hope to have inward peace? The heart's fierce effort to protect itself from every slight 
to shield its touchy honor from the bad opinions of friend and enemy will never let your mind become intolerable. Yet the sons of earth are carrying this burden continually, challenging every word spoken against them, cringing under every criticism, smarting under each fancied slight, tossing sleepless if another is preferred before them. Such a burden as this is not necessary to bear. Jesus calls us to rest and meekness as it is his method. The meek man cares not at all who is greater than he, for he has long ago decided that the esteem of the world is not worth the effort. He developed toward himself a kindly sense of humor and learns to say to himself, Oh, so you have been overlooked. They have placed someone else before you. They have whispered that you are pretty small stuff after all. And now you feel hurt because the world is saying about you the very things you have been saying about yourself. Only yesterday you were telling God that you were nothing, a mere worm in the dust. Where is your consistency? Come on, humble yourself and cease to care what men think. Meekness. Meekness also will hold out the tongue, will be a hold on the tongue. I believe, like Jesus, who did not retort, he did not reply when he was threatened, or when he was accused, he, was, he threatened not. He just committed himself. That's one of the harder things for us. When you have that retort, that reply, that pushback on the tip of your tongue, and to just be quiet and take it in meekness. May God help us as we continue to explore the meaning of meekness in our lives. I'm sure that it's something that we'll never run out of things to think about and to work on. We understand the meekness of Christ. We can follow his will and his way for us. Let's kneel to pray. Thank you, Father, for the example of Christ, the example of many others in the scriptures in relation to meekness. Father, we know how quickly we want to push back. We want to protect our rights. We want to, we want to clear our name. We want to just be sure that people know that we're not as bad as some people think we are. Father, we just pray you would help us to understand this. And the Holy Spirit would guide us in our thinking that we would be truly meek from the inside out. And may your blessing be with each of us. We pray this morning again for the Bowman family and the time of passing with their, their mother, the goodbyes, the, the tears that are shed. We just pray that you would undertake and strengthen them and bless them in this time of parting. We think of other situations where your people are struggling and trying to find their way and a lot of different situations. We think of the war in Ukraine and others who are suffering and on uh, 
beds of affliction. We just pray that you would bless and strengthen them. Help all of us to be faithful. May we be continually learning from our Lord Jesus as he shows himself to us. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen.